Oh, I must forget to press that button. The Buddha taught that for the purpose of awakening and spiritual freedom, everything that we need can be found within the body. Everything that we need to realize about the world, about the way things are, the nature of things. He said that uh, he focused so much on on the role of, of the senses and perception that he repeated this phrase a number of times in his teaching. Within this fathom-long body, fathom is about six feet, give or take, that's what we are, with its perceptions and inner sense lies the world, the cause of the world, the cessation of the world, and the path that leads to the cessation of the world. So when the Buddha uses the word the word the world, what he's talking about is uh, what's referred to as samsara, the wheel of suffering that's caused by the continuation of greed, hatred, and delusion. Just all the causes and effects and causes and effects and conditions arising from the playing out of greed, hatred, and delusion. So within this body, with its perceptions and inner sense, we can discover the nature of the world, the cause of it, the cessation and the path that leads to the cessation of suffering. There's also another quote that I like to read. It's one of my favorite. There is one thing that when cultivated and regularly practiced leads to deep spiritual intention, to peace, to mindfulness and clear comprehension, to vision and knowledge, to a happy life here and now, and to the culmination of wisdom and awakening. And what is that one thing? It's mindfulness centered on the body. And then another thing that the Buddha said, similar, if the body is not cultivated, the mind cannot be cultivated. If the body is cultivated, then the mind can be cultivated. So the body is central in this practice to come to freedom, to come to peace, awakening. <clears throat> the body, every, every thought, every, uh, every imagination, every desire, uh, every every irritation, every moment of grasping or resisting is, is known and can be known in the body. 
In our culture, we mostly experience the world, life, through the mind. And we try to fit our experience into concepts. And we narrow and we reduce our experience to fit what we already know. And when something something new is experienced, uh, we compare, we contrast, we try to fit it in to the, uh, to the map of what we already know. And that's, it's not that that can't be useful. And I'm not at all dismissing the importance of the mind. <clears throat> what, what's true is that what we know through the mind is an abstraction. They're concepts. They're concepts which are formed through experience and we create a generalization and an abstraction. And because these concepts are static, we think that our experience is static. And this is the limitation of the mind. That, you know, we have, we we create an idea of a self, you know, who I am. I'm this, I'm that, I'm not this, I'm not that. And then we are, we keep trying to, uh, to make that story fit our experience. And what doesn't fit the story, we sometimes don't even notice. We don't even connect with. So sometimes we can't even see or hear how, for example, how appreciated we are for something we're doing when we think, I'm not good at that. So the body has, we've been focusing on the body in our practice by simply bringing presence, bringing our attention, our awareness to the body, to feelings in the body, the flow of sensations, and in sitting meditation, to the breath. And the breath has acted for us as a, uh, a kind of uh, an object which is a home base. We come home to the breath. Keep coming home. We notice that the mind is, is uh, going into different kinds of patterns of thinking and planning and worrying and remembering and having inner conversations. And, uh, and we, we know from uh, our experience that 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 doesn't lead to happiness. It doesn't lead to peace. It doesn't lead to a sense of connection with life. It just leads to more of the same. And so there is a, a kind of renunciation of that endless chatter of the mind that we, that we do when we let go 
of all those, that thinking, 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 the story, and simply come back to the breath. Sometimes it's hard to let go. Sometimes the thoughts are very compelling. Sometimes the feelings are very intense. And, and, and we don't want to let go, or, or we're just so hooked that it's hard to let go. That's part of the process. And just coming back to the breath again and again and again, we, we discover that there is a place of rest, of silence, of refuge that we can connect with, just in that simple <coughs> returning to the breath. <coughs> Through practice of this practice called samatha, which means tranquility, the practice of coming back to the breath, we gradually develop some kind of stability of attention in our present moment experience. So that we're not always just getting lost in the story or getting lost you know, in some story about what just happened or what we're seeing or judgment or self-judgment or imagination, fantasy, inner conversation, all of that stuff. We're, we're learning to, at least some of the time, I'm not talking about perfection here, some of the time we can just be present. Um, be present, attentive, and open-hearted. The, the practice of mindfulness is a practice of open-heartedness and kindness. It's, uh, it's not simply, you know, a kind of um, sterile or disconnected kind of awareness. It's, there's, a, there's a very uh, warm and connected <coughs> feeling to this. So, um, because, because we are connected, we're not separate. We're not outside of our experience. Our experience is arising within us. We are our experience. So as this capacity for moment-by-moment attention to our present moment experience develops, what happens is in a very natural way we, we shift from just the samatha practice of coming back, kind of relinquishing or renouncing the caught-upness of the mind. There's a way in which we begin to really uh, attune the attention to what is happening moment by moment. So that, for example... If we're feeling the breath in the body and a sound arises, we just notice there's the rising and falling 
of sound. In this insight practice, we are developing the capacity to to really see into the word insight, uh, sati, uh, uh, insight uh, is what well, what it is in Pali. It doesn't matter, anyway. But the the uh, the the, uh, the sense of insight is seeing deeply. The sense of mindfulness is remembering. So. So the word sati, just as this is a bit of an aside, uh, I meant to say it earlier, the, the word sati, which has been translated into English as mindfulness, doesn't really mean mind as distinct from body. The word sati in Pali uh, is really a sense of remembering and remembering, you know, has to is a, is a word that kind of refers to the body, the members of the body. We remember in our body, and so, so, so part of why people think mindfulness is about the mind is, is you know, a kind of lost in translation. The the full sense of the word sati is not just pointing to the mind. And the and the word insight, the, the, again the English word, uh, has been used, um, which often people associate with psychological insights. That's the way we popularly use the word. I had an insight about, you know, about uh, you know why uh, you know I have trouble with you know certain kinds of relationships and. My insight is that something happened when I was a kid, right? So that's, but that's not what insight means in the spiritual sense. Insight is an experience which, is, which doesn't happen through the mind. It doesn't happen through concepts. It's a direct seeing into the nature of what we're experiencing. So the Buddha said in, in the description of practice, of inside practice, that we should look to see if we can notice how nothing stays the same. Everything is always changing. And, and the insight into, say, a sound is that the sound arises, manifests, and passes away. The insight is that it's impermanent. And we see it immediately, or we know it immediately, through insight. Now, perhaps more, uh, more important for our spiritual development is that we also see the impermanent nature of thoughts. So often uh, something comes into our mind, a thought comes into the mind, and then we believe it. We think it's true just because we thought it. How many relationships 
have broken up because a thought came into the mind that maybe I don't belong with this person or um, how many friendships have broken up or uh, how many decisions have been made just on a single thought and then the mind seized upon it and thought it was true thoughts come all kinds of thoughts come and go so then when we see when we have the, the presence the capacity to, to be in that space the silence, the stillness within which thoughts arise and pass away we see it's a thought it's a passing thought That's not to say that sometimes relationships end and they end for good reasons or people make decisions. You know, and we make decisions coming out of some sense of inner direction. That there's a difference between that connectedness out of which we find a kind of a, a wisdom, an inner listening to our deep heart, which is calling us, and just the arising of a thought. I just, uh, just thought of a ru- beautiful Rumi poem that I'd like to read about that. Sometimes you hear a voice through the door calling you as fish out of water hear the waves or a hunting falcon hears the drums come back. This turning toward what you deeply love saves you. Sometimes you hear a voice through the door calling you as, as fish out of water hear the waves, or a hunting falcon hears the drums come back. This turning toward what you deeply love saves you. <clears throat> so when we are present, present, within the the spacious stillness and silence of our deepest self, when we have that capacity to be present to the heart, to the body in that way, then we hear this calling and we can distinguish between the rising and passing away of a thought and a deep calling. So, so as we, as the mind becomes more still, as the mind becomes more quiet, we begin to see 
we begin to witness this flow of thought, emotion, sensation, inner chatter, and we see how um, how cluttered the mind has become, how cluttered the mind can be. And that can be a difficult experience. Sometimes people, when they start meditation, you know, they say, gee, since I started meditation, you know, my mind has become so scattered. (laughs) And of course what's happening is that they're noticing the scattered mind. And so in Vipassana, as we have this sense of stability, of mindfulness, this presence, this connection with a space of silence. And again, I'm not saying it's perfect, but sufficient to begin to observe how thoughts, emotions, feelings, uh, reactions come and go. We begin to observe our reactive patterns. We begin to notice some of the deeper patterns. So this is a place that in a number of you are arriving at as the mind becomes more quiet. Of course, in our daily lives, it's, it's hard for us to experience, unless, unless we've, we've established some practice and we have a daily meditation practice, it's hard for us to experience the quiet mind, you know, the stillness, because our lives are so full of distractions. You know, we're busy, 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 and uh, we make sure we stay that way. <laughs> Um, so, so we have so many things to do, and you know, if if uh, a feeling of sadness comes up, even perhaps before it comes into consciousness, you know, we're thinking, oh, I have to check my email, or I have to write that letter to so and so, or I have to, or yeah, there's this program on TV I want to watch, or hmm, wonder what's in the fridge. So, so, so many ways that we, we distract ourselves. We, uh, we turn away from what is painful and difficult in the heart, in the body-mind. <clears throat> and so, here we are. We're on retreat. And uh, maybe, maybe your mind has said from time to time, oh boy, what did I get myself into here? Um, and perhaps some of these uh, pushed away emotions, memories, patterns are coming up. 
So it's actually, even though it's difficult, it's actually um, a good development. It's actually a good development when we begin to, when the mind becomes quiet enough and we begin to see some of those deeper layers. You know, the heart, the heart wants to be heard. The heart wants to be heard. The heart wants to be heard in its loving, and the heart wants to be heard in its sorrow. And, um, and so we need to listen. We need to give space to the heart to be heard. So, what's key in this is that, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with the heart feeling pain. It's not like you have to fix it. You know, if, if, uh, if your little daughter or grandson or nephew... Uh, were to come over and be crying, you know, the first thing you would do would be to, you know, just uh, scoop him up in your arms and just say, it's okay, you know, just, you don't need to make him stop crying. It's just, it's just an expression of pain. And it goes, it, it's, it's impermanent. So, so this experience coming up into the silence of our present awareness, our open awareness, can be received. And actually, the secret, it's really so key in spiritual practice, is that all, that's all it needs. That's all it needs is to be received in openness without trying to fix it, without trying to make it something else. That's all we need. So when anger comes up, all we need to do is be present with it because it is impermanent. It does come and go like everything. It's painful. But if we, if we don't cling to it, if we don't try to resist it or, or make a story out of it, you know, if the mind, it's, what happens is these emotions arise and the mind starts adding it to the story. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, you know, he criticized me, and, um, you know, and, and he shouldn't have criticized me, and, and then underneath that, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm not good enough, maybe he's right, maybe, maybe it's, maybe it's, uh, everything I'm doing is flawed, and, you know, all of those trigger points, you know. So all of the story, you know, and so we need to turn, we need to know the story as a story. It's not true. 
It's just something the mind has created. It's something that we cling to. And just come back. So what's in the body? Pain, hurt, anger, fear, fear I'm not good enough. All of this stuff is known in the body. So it takes courage to be with that in the body. It takes courage because it's not pleasant. It's distinctly unpleasant. When we do, when we do have the courage, instead of turning away from what's difficult, <coughs> painful, cha- excuse me, challenging, when we have the courage to turn toward it instead of away from it, we change our relationship with it. So if fear is something that comes up, you know, and we're always driven by fear, and we're always trying to make ourselves feel safe by, you know, different kinds of conditions that we set up around ourselves. And instead, we just say, what is this? What is this I'm feeling right now that I'm feeling so driven by? Oh, I mean, we can name it, but when we name it, that's not, it shouldn't end there. Because sometimes people name things and they think that's the end of it. But that's just a concept. You know, fear, what is that fear? It's contraction in the chest, it's, it's a feeling of coldness, it's a clenching in the belly. It can be many things at many times to different people. But fear is a set of sensations, very unpleasant sensations. Sometimes fear is real, you know. If there's, a, if there's a, you know, a car whizzing by and we're about to step in the street and we feel fear and we step back, that's, that's a very real fear. Most of our fears that we carry around with us are constructed out of ideas about our experience or some kind of trauma that we've experienced that we've solidified around it's so important that we not judge ourselves this is this is the reality of of you know why we're here we want to be free we don't want to be caught up in those conditioned patterns which, you know, just what Buddha called the world, the samsara, greed, hatred, delusion, greed, hatred, delusion. Fear is in there. So we turn toward, we turn toward what's painful. We, we stay present. We find the space, the silence, the stillness to be with that. Rumi said, the cure for the pain is in the pain. The cure for the pain is in the pain. 
So, so this insight that even the most difficult emotions, anger, fear, grasping, longing, grief, that they all come and go. They're not solid. They're all passing through, like a weather system. Sometimes a weather system is, can be very big and move very slowly, and sometimes it just whips through. Like the sun and the flurries that we've been experiencing today, just, just changing all the time. Sometimes it's like that. So it's, it's the clinging to and resisting these, or, or the distraction from, the turning away from, that really perpetuates the suffering of these states. And that's, that's another insight that the Buddha said we should look for. He said, look for suffering and how it's caused. You know, look for that. And he said, you won't find real happiness, real peace, real freedom in any conditions of the world, any conditions that you can experience in your senses. Real freedom, real happiness, real peace comes from knowing freedom, knowing freedom and the way to freedom. And we learn this in this direct knowing, seeing that everything's passing, everything's arising and passing away. And it's not, we're not causing it. We're not in control. You know, everything's arising from causes and conditions. So many causes and conditions that we we can't we couldn't even possibly name them you know just think of all the causes and conditions that came about that brought about the possibility for you to be here right now i mean here alive as a living person human being um not just your parents you know uh having sexual intercourse and having and and your mother getting pregnant but all the causes and conditions that kept you alive and all the causes and conditions that make human life possible you know going back and back and back you know to the temperature of the earth to the very birth of stars in which all the some the elements that are necessary for the human body are created you know, all of the causes and conditions that make it possible for us to be alive and then to be here, you know, how many conditions and, and uh, how, much, how much support, how many people made it possible for you to be here. So 
So everything is arising from so many causes and conditions. And this, this is part of what the Buddha was pointing to when he said, it's arising selflessly. You're not making the fear arise. You're not making the anger arise. It's all just arising selflessly. So don't identify with it. Don't, you don't have to say, this is me and it's bad. It's just what's arising out of causes and conditions. Causes and conditions change. For example, learning the Dharma, learning meditation. That's a very important conditioning that changes our experience. The Buddha sometimes talked, sometimes talked about the, the Dharma as medicine. We take medicine and, you know, over time we begin to heal, we feel better. We learn. We can say that, that the Dharma is a reconditioning of the body-mind that deconditions the body-mind. That's, that's a way of thinking about it. It's a new condition that we're adding into the mix. And it, it releases some of the, you know, many of the old patterns so that we can experience freedom. So insight, vipassana, uh, it's something that is not conceptual. It's a direct seeing a direct knowing, seeing deeply into our experience that it's arising and passing away, that when we cling to it or resist it, that's what creates suffering in the mind. And, and that it's arising. It's not, we're, we're not in control. It's arising from so many causes and conditions. It's arising selflessly. And so, so I encourage you to continue to stay present in the body, becoming more and more aware of what is arising in the body, not, not, not turning away, not being afraid to be present with each moment's experience. A, a Zen nun from 15th century Japan was asked to describe her practice. And she said, I meet life with my whole body. I meet life with my whole body, my whole heart, all of my sensitivity. my intuitive wisdom which is discovered in the body. So let's continue moment by moment to meet life with our whole body. So let's sit for just a minute.